Hey, everybody, and welcome to our Community Spotlight mini-series. I'm Mike Salmon, and we're enthusiastic about supporting our great community out there. As we've experienced a pivot in the way we do business these days, I'm joined now by Jennifer Deloach and Robert Bexley with the law firm of Bexley and Deloach here in Gwinnett County. Welcome to both of you to Community Spotlight, and I'll start off by asking to tell us a little bit about how you've had to adjust your business differently over the last several weeks with everything that's been going on with COVID-19. Depending on the area of law uh, in which we're practicing, what we've had to do changes. For instance, in my area of business law, I don't have to do very much different because so much of what I do is transactional, whether it's trademarks or drafting contracts or business formation. Almost everything I do is on the computer. And so a lot of my clients are throughout the entire state of Georgia and with, in some cases, such as trademarks all over the country. However, when we start getting to areas such as criminal law or estate planning or family law, the in-person interaction dynamic changes a lot. For instance, with estate planning, with signing a will, a will requires notarization and two witnesses. The two witnesses under Georgia law have to physically be present for the will to be signed, and they can't be family members typically. So that creates a very strange dynamic of how do you get a will when you need two people present that can't be family members, and we're told that we can't be in present with people who aren't living with us. So we've worked with clients about the stretching the bounds of the law of what actually in present actually means. And so we're still trying to get estate plans out there for people who need them in this very worrisome time, people need estate planning. Family law, a lot of my hearings have been continued that I had coming up because the court right now is only open for what it considers essential emergency hearings. Um, and so any case involving family violence would be considered an emergency, but a lot of other things, divorce hearings, temporary hearings, those aren't really considered emergencies right now. So a lot of my cases are effectively on pause. Another issue that's come up a lot is parents aren't quite sure how the custodial, non-custodial dynamic should happen. I'm getting that question a lot from my clients. Do I still need to send my kids to their dads this weekend? It's his weekend, but I'm not too sure. You know, he's following the, the social distancing. Uh, and the courts for a couple of weeks kind of let us just, just figure that one out on our own. But then they did issue some guidance and the courts have clarified now, if you are a parent listening to the show and you're wondering that you do still need to follow the existing custody orders, regardless of the corona outbreak. So so the courts have found themselves in a position of sort of offering a little bit more, more uh, guidance and advice in certain situations. Some things the courts are allowing us to notarize remotely. You know, I've had clients hold up a photo of their driver's license and videotape themselves signing documents. But, but as Robert pointed out, there are certain things that still require physical presence. So we're all sort of navigating uncharted waters here. Our other law partner, Megan Vargas, she does a lot of criminal law, and they still require in-person meetings with the inmates on a weekly basis and arraignments and certain other deprivation of liberty type of hearings still have to be done in person. So the courts are trying to adapt to this just like everybody else. But as of either yesterday or day before, the statewide judicial emergency order was extended from April 13th to May 13th. The real issue is not what's going on now, to be honest with you, is what's going to happen in the future as a humongous backlog of cases and uh, issues start really clogging up the system. And it's really going to take a lot of flexibility on the parts of attorneys and their clients to be able to navigate this unprecedented event. 
A lot of misinformation out there regarding the executive order and the SBA emergency loan application. What advice would you give to that small business owner that's listening that wants to apply for the loan? I actually prepared our PPP loan for our own firm. We are experiencing a downturn. We're unfortunately going to have to furlough an employee. And um, regrettably, it breaks our hearts to have to do that. But like everybody else, we're experiencing a downturn of business. Navigating the PPP is very difficult because there's not a lot of guidance coming from the government on how to prepare it, and not just to us, but to the banks also. Now, we're lucky that we had a really good banker and a really good bank to help walk us through the process, what their procedures were. But I actually had to update the application the very next day when the government came out with a new application the day after we were supposed to apply. And then I had to supply more information. And then on Monday, I had to supply even more information. So my advice is people should turn to experts, people who are knowledgeable in this area. That is their financial advisors, tax preparers, attorneys, and bankers. Um, Those are going to be the people on the front lines of this ever-evolving situation. Just like with any emergency bill that gets passed by Congress, regardless of the administration and the congressional makeup. This happened with the Affordable Care Act. This happened in multiple other occasions when there are national emergencies. These bills get put together piecemeal. And this bill is 800 pages long. For instance, is there a conflict if you applied for the emergency $10,000 grant, are you still qualified for the PPP loan? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Even the experts or the people who have read the bill have found conflicts within the law. And so just to take it step by step, consult with your experts and to not take what you read on the Internet as gospel. Trust but confirm and trust in your experts. It's a first come, first serve basis. So there is a mad rush to get it in first and as quickly as possible. The other question that comes down with PPP, payroll protection plan is the loan forgiveness. That is the big component. It's not enough to get the loan, but within the first eight weeks, you need to be back up to the similar level of number of employees and the same or similar level of payroll. But it doesn't actually say it has to be the same employees or the same configuration of employees, whether it means 10 half-time employees or five full-time employees. And you have to use 75% of the loan for payroll-related expenses or also rent expenses, which is confusing because you've acquired the loan based on payroll, but you can use the loan on non-payroll, certain non-payroll things. And to be able to prove all of that, you can get 100% loan forgiveness. Well, one of the best practices we've done is we've instructed our bank to create a brand new business checking account, put those funds into the business checking account, and then we're only using that account to pay for the qualified expenses to get the loan forgiveness. And I think that's the best practice that all businesses should follow so that they don't run the risk of getting a humongous loan that has to be paid back in two years. That's great advice. I've actually heard that as well. So that is very good advice. Jennifer Deloach and Robert Bexley with Bexley and Deloach. As we wrap things up, I just want to circle back to the estate planning that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, because I know it's more important than ever now that families have estate plans in place during this health crisis. And I know you guys are very sensitive to that need. And I know you're also offering discounted rates for your family in estate planning. Yes, we are actually offering a, a discounted rate of 35% uh, across the board for our estate planning because we know this is more important than ever, as you said. 
our, our rates are always pretty good, but uh, we don't want cost to be a factor in making someone's decision to put this off. All families need to have, at the very least, a simple will and advanced health care directive and financial power of attorney in place. And so we're offering discounted rates for that for anybody who now finds themselves having those conversations with their loved ones, looking at their spouse or partner and wondering what happens if I'm not here, you're not here, we're both not here. Um, this is a way that we can provide some peace of mind and walk them through what they might need. Do they need a trust? Do they need a simple will? And so we, we made the decision together very early on that we don't want anybody to be frightened of price tags. We want them to feel comfortable coming to us to get their estate planning questions met. It's just something that you need to do. It's just part of being an adult to, to take care of your family. Absolutely. Let's encourage all families to get their affairs in order. Where can people go to find out more about Bexley and Deloach? They can go to our website, bexleydeloach.com, B-E-X-L-E-Y-D-E-L-O-A-C-H. They can find out more about all of our services there, including estate planning. They can also sign up for our newsletter where we'll keep them informed with what's going on with our firm, any specials that we're running, such as this discounted price on estate planning, and they can become a part of our network that way. Thank you to our listeners to Community Spotlight, the miniseries, and thank you to our guests on this episode, Jennifer Deloach and Robert Bexley with Bexley and Deloach. 